Book Two, Chapter Eight of the Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah Grand. Book Two, Chapter Eight. Captain Belliot was not one of the guests at that dinner party of Abadne's, but he happened to call upon Mrs. Guthrie Brimston next day, and finding her alone, had tea with her tete-a-tete, -tete, and of course she entertained him with her own version of what had occurred the night before. The dinner itself was very good, she said. All their dinners are, you know. But Mrs. Cahoon was, she raised her hands and nodded her head. Well, just too awful, she concluded. Indeed, he observed, leaning back in his chair, crossing his legs and settling himself for a treat generally. You surprise me, because she has never struck me as being the kind of person who would set the Thames on fire in any way. Mrs. Guthrie Brimston smiled enigmatically. Do you admire her very much? she asked with the utmost suavity. Well, he answered warily, she's rather peculiar in appearance, don't you know? Mrs. Guthrie Brimston drew her own conclusions, not from the words, but from the wariness, and proceeded. It is not in appearance only that she is peculiar, then. She astonished us all last night, I can assure you. How? he asked, to fill up an artistic pause. By the things she said, Mrs. Guthrie Brimston answered, with an affectation of reserve. Now, you do surprise me, Captain Belliot declared, because I cannot imagine her saying anything but, How do you do? And goodbye? Yes? And no? Indeed? Please? Thank you? And do you think so? On my honour, those words are all I have ever heard her utter, and I have met her as often as anybody on the island. Now I like a woman with something in her, he concluded, ogling Mrs Guthrie Brimston. Well, then, she must have been hibernating or something when she first came out, for she has begun to talk now with a vengeance, Mrs. Guthrie Brimston answered smartly. But what has she been saying? he asked with great curiosity. I simply cannot tell you, she answered pointedly. So bad as that, he said, raising his eyebrows. Yes, things that no woman should have said, she subjoined with emphasis. There was, of course, only one conclusion to be drawn from this, and it would have been drawn at the club later in the day inevitably, even if other ladies had not also declared that Mrs. Cahoon had said such dreadful things that they really could not repeat them. It is true that some of the men of the party mentioned the matter in a different way, and one, 
when asked what it was exactly that Mrs. Cahoon had said. Even answered casually, Oh, some rot about the Irish question. But the explanation made no impression and was immediately forgotten. Captain Belliot himself was so excited by the news that he hurried away from Mrs. Guthrie Brimston as soon as he could possibly excuse himself without giving offence, and went at once to call upon Evadne in order to inspect her from this unexpected point of view. He found her talking tranquilly to Mr. St. John, Edith, and Mrs. Beale, and although he sat for half an hour, she never said a word of the slightest significance. That, however, proved nothing either one way or the other, and he left her with his confidence in Mrs. Guthrie Brimston's insinuations quite unshaken, his theory being that the women whose minds are in reality the most corrupt are as a rule very carefully guarded in their conversation, although, of course, they always betray themselves sooner or later by some such slip as that with which he credited Evadne, an idea which he proceeded to expand at the club with great effect. Evadne's reputation was in danger after that, and she risked it still further by acting in defiance of the public opinion of the island generally, in order to do what she conceived to be an act of justice. Mrs. Guthrie Brimston went to her one morning, brimming over with news. My husband has just received a letter from a friend of his in India, Major Lopside, telling him to warn us all not to call on Mrs. Clarence, who has just joined your regiment, she burst out. I thought I ought to let you know at once. She met her husband in India, Major Lopside says, and it was a runaway match. But that is not all for he says he knows for a fact that they travel together for 300 miles down country, sleeping at all the Dak bungalows, by the way, before they were married. Waiting until they came to some place where they could be married, I suppose, Evadne suggested. Mrs. Guthrie Brimston laughed. Taking a sort of trial trip, I should say, she ventured but it was very good of Major Lopside to let us know. I should certainly have called if he hadn't. You make me feel sick, Evadne began. I knew I should, Mrs Guthrie Brimston interposed triumphantly. Sick at heart, Evadne pursued, to think of an Englishman being capable of writing a letter for the express purpose of ruining a woman's reputation. Mrs. Brimston changed countenance. We think it was awfully kind of Major Lopside to let us know, she repeated, perking. Well, I think, said Evadne, her slow utterance giving double weight to each word, I think he must be an exceedingly low person himself, and one probably whom Mrs. Clarence has had to snub. He could only have been actuated by animus when he wrote that letter. One may be quite sure that a man is never disinterested when he does a low thing. It was a private letter written for our private information, 
Mrs Guthrie Brimston asserted. She was ruffled considerably by this time. No, not written for your private information, Evadne rejoined. Or if it were, you are making a strange use of it. I have no doubt, however, that it was designed for the very purpose to which you are putting it. The purpose of spoiling the Clarence's chance of happiness in a new place. And it is precisely to the private character of the document that I take exception. If this Major Lockside had any accusation to bring against Captain Clarence, he should have done it publicly and not in this underhand manner. He should have written to Colonel Cahoon. Nonsense! said Mrs. Guthrie Brimston, her native rudeness getting the better of her habitual caution at this provocation. Major Lopside would not be fool enough to report a man to his own chief. Why, he might get the worst of it himself if there were an inquiry. Exactly, Evadne answered. He thinks it safer to stab in the dark. Will you kindly excuse me? I am very busy this morning writing my letters for the mail. But many thanks for letting me know about this malicious story. There was nothing for it but to retire after this, which Mrs. Guthrie Brimston did, discomforted and with an uneasy feeling, which had been growing upon her lately, that Evadne was not quite the nonentity for which she had mistaken her. Colonel Cahoon had lunched at mess that day, and Evadne did not see him until quite late, when she met him on the Baraka with the Guthrie Brimstons. It was the hour when the Baraka is thronged, and Evadne had gone with a purpose, expecting to find him there. He left the Guthrie Brimstons and joined her as soon as she appeared. I have been home to look for you, he said but I found that you had gone out without an escort. No one knew where. I have been making calls, Evadne answered, and making Mrs. Clarence's acquaintance also. Oh, there she is, leaning against that arch with her husband. Have you met her yet? Let me introduce you. She is charmingly pretty, but very timid. Colonel Cahoon's brow contracted. I thought Mrs. Guthrie Brimston had warned you. Warned me? Evadne quietly interposed. Mrs. Guthrie Brimston brought me a scandalous story which had the effect of making me call on Mrs. Clarence at once. I suppose you have seen this precious Major Lockside's letter? Yes, he answered, and I am sorry you called without consulting me. You really ought to have consulted me. It will make it doubly awkward for you, having called. But we'll rush the fellow. I'll make him send in his papers at once. Why is it awkward for me? What is awkward for me? Evadne asked. Why, having a lady in the regiment you can't know, to begin with, and having to cut her after calling upon her, he answered. If you would only condescend to consult me occasionally, I could save you from this kind of thing. But why may I not countenance Mrs. Clarence? 
You cannot countenance a woman there is a story about, he responded decidedly. But where is the proof of the story? she asked. Colonel Cahoon reflected. A man wouldn't write a letter of that kind without some grounds for it, he said. We must find out what the exact grounds were, said Evadne. Well, you see none of the other ladies are speaking to her, Colonel Cahoon observed, with the air of one whose argument is unanswerable. They are sheep, said Evadne, but they can be led aright as well as astray, I suppose. We'll see, at all events. But don't let me keep you from your friends. I want to speak to Mrs. Malcolmson. There was a quiet sense of power about Evadne when she chose to act, which checked opposition at the outset and put an end to argument. Colonel Cahoon looked disheartened, but like a gentleman, he acted at once on the hint to go. He did not rejoin the Guthrie Brimstons, however, but sat alone under one of the arches of the Baraka, turning his back on the entrancing view of the Grand Harbour, a jewel of beauty, set in silence. Colonel Cahoon was watching. He saw Mrs. Clarence turn from the strange Christian women who eyed her coldly and lean over the parapet. He saw the influence of the scene upon her mind in the sweet and tranquil expression which gradually replaced the half-pained, half-puzzled look her face had been wearing. He saw her husband standing beside her, but with his back to the parapet, looking at the people gloomily and with resentment, but also half-puzzled, perceiving that his wife was being slighted and wondering why. Colonel Cahoon saw Mrs. Guthrie Brimston also, going from one group to another, with the peculiar ducking-forward gait of a high-hipped, high-shouldered woman, followed by her little fat Bobby, smiling herself and met with smiles which were followed by noisy laughter. And he noticed, too, that invariably the eyes of those she addressed turned upon Mrs. Clarence, and their faces grew hard and unfriendly and not one person to whom she spoke looked the happier or the better for the attention when she left them. Colonel Cahoon, with a set countenance, slowly curled his blonde moustache. Only his eyes moved, following Mrs. Guthrie Brimston for a while, and then returning to Evadne. She was speaking to Mrs. Malcolmson, and the latter looked, as she listened, at Mrs. Guthrie Brimston. Then Evadne took her arm, and the two sauntered over to Mrs. Beale, an important person, who always adopted the last charitable opinion she heard expressed positively and acted upon it. It was Mrs. Malcolmson who spoke to her, and the effect of what she said was instantaneous, for the old lady bridled visibly and then set out accompanied by Edith, with the obvious intention of heading the relief party herself that very minute. She stationed herself beside Mrs. Clarence and stood, patting the poor girl's hand with motherly tenderness, smiling at her and saying conventional nothings 
in a most cordial manner. Colonel Cahoon had watched these proceedings, understanding them perfectly, but remaining impassive as at first. And Mrs. Guthrie Brimston had also seen signs of the reaction the moment it set in, and shown her astonishment. She was not accustomed to be checked in full career when it pleased her to be down upon another woman, and she didn't quite know what to do. She looked first at Colonel Cahoon, inviting him to rejoin her, but he ignored the glance, and she therefore found herself obliged either to give him up or to go to him. She decided to go to him and set out, attended by her own Bobby. By the time she had reached him, however, the last act of the little play had begun. Evadne was standing apart with Captain Clarence, looking up at him and speaking with her usual unimpassioned calm, to judge by the expression of her face. But Mrs. Guthrie Brimston had begun to realise that when Evadne did speak, it was to some purpose, and she watched now and awaited the event in evident trepidation. She's not telling him. She never would dare to, slipped from her unawares. They are coming this way, Colonel Cahoon observed significantly. I shall go, cried Mrs. Guthrie Brimston. Come, Bobby. It was too late, however. They were surrounded. Be good enough to remain a moment, Captain Clarence exclaimed authoritatively. Then turning to Colonel Cahoon, he said, I understand that these people have in their possession a letter containing a foul slander against my wife and myself, and that they have been using it to injure us in the estimation of everybody here. If it be possible, sir, I should like to have an official inquiry instituted into the circumstances of my marriage at once. Very well, Captain Clarence. Colonel Cahoon answered ceremoniously. I'll apologise, Major Guthrie Brimston gasped. But Captain Clarence turned on his heel and walked back to his wife as if he had not heard. How the inquiry was conducted was not made public, but when it was said that the Clarences had been cleared and seen that the Guthrie Brimstons had not suffered, Society declared it to have been a case of six of one and half a dozen of the other, which left matters exactly where they were before. Those who chose to believe in the calumny continued to do so, and vice versa. The only difference being that Avadne's generous action in the matter brought blame upon herself from one set, and also, what was worse, brought her into a kind of vogue with another, which would have caused her to rage had she understood it. For the story that she had said things which no woman could repeat, added to the fact that she was seen everywhere with a lady whose reputation had been attacked, made men of a certain class feel a sudden interest in her. Birds of a feather, they maintained then spoke of her slightingly in public places, and sent her bouquets innumerable. 
Her next decided action, however, put an effectual stop to this nuisance. End of chapter 8